0: Hello, thank you for coming out. I've been talking for a while, starting the show. Uh, Let's start the show on one of the... just most upbeat... just most encouraging, most just hopeful things that I can say. It's a Friday night. I'm here to have fun. You're here to have fun. People have been talking about it. I've been entertaining you guys. I've been pushing through, really just trying to be consistent, feeling the love. And let me just say one of the most upbeat things, just really, just get it right out there, right at the start, if you're ready. Uh, the first vaccines are gonna fucking suck. Okay, great. So now that we just ripped that fucking right off, um, let's just let's just go ahead and delve into it, because I don't like saying something like that. And I don't really like having responsibility for you guys' political awareness or any of that. But i got to talk about what's going on in my life and my world, and this is, this is what's it. So here's what I tried to do. I tried to really, really not read much news this week. And I've stopped watching cable news for the first time in, in my life, ever. And I'm only reading news. And I'm trying to limit it a whole lot. But when I do peek at the news, it's fucking crazy these days. And it's just so much. And it just feels so intense. And there's just always something happening. And when I hear the words fatigue, and I hear people drained and exhausted and hopeless, I just get it, man. I feel you. I do. I, I I I understand 100%. And so I don't like bringing up bad news. I don't like bringing up particularly, you know, uh complex racial economic fertility stuff. Uh See, I probably even should call it fertility. Uh But but on this particular issue, I just, I kind of feel the need to just say that my life, whatever, maybe you can think I'm crazy for thinking this and I'm fine with it. My life is, you know, quite a period of being marooned for a while longer and not knowing how much longer. Doing this another six months or another 12 months. And it is possible longer than that. And it just stinks. And to be positive, or to be productive, or to be a showman, you know, I gotta gotta change course. I have to. Uh, Because if I keep just living my day-to-day life like this, I'm just going to be miserable. And I'm just not going to be able to handle it. Some of these days I get extra pouty. I get extra frustrated. I'm no good to anybody or myself. And so I've been really, really trying to make little adjustments just in my day-to-day regimen to get to a point that I can offer the better parts of me on a daily basis, that I can keep performing, that I can be there and not just be there. Because sometimes it feels like I'm saving all of my energy up just to be there for people right now. And that's not really living either. So, I say that just to kind of rip off the bandage at the beginning. I promise, the tone of this is not going to keep swooning. But in my mind, just just real quick, why do I think that? Why do I think the first couple of vaccines are not going to be great? Well, even if we, you know, kind of like ignore the the, the Russian vaccine being rushed through, and I'm not making a pun there, uh, and you look at the, the current phase 3 trials going on and what have you, the main thing that really told me that vaccines are not going to be it, there's two things. One, all along, governments, you know, functional ones, and uh, what's what's called NGOs, non-government organizations, have really, since the very beginning, been putting plans out saying, Things are going to be disrupted through 2021. That's what we should plan on as an organization. So that's pretty big, because why are they all saying that internally uh, if they don't believe it? The answer is, of course, they do. So I've always had that kind of cynical thinking going on as well, that cynical thinking cap. But then beyond that, there's a lot of really big players. There's actually dozens of them trying to make vaccines right now. And that can sound overwhelming. Some of these people, some of these companies, some of these orgs have never gotten one to market. And some of the best news is coming from those, so that kind of stings. But the other thing is, and I mean this really convinced me that I I have to plan on a long haul. I really have to plan on a long haul. Like my, my budget, my mentality, my life, I have to plan on this being a long haul, is that The vaccine makers who are quote-unquote really behind, uh, i.e. not at all planning on releasing something in the last quarter of this year, the first quarter of next year, but talking about, you know, maybe releasing something a year from now and maybe longer. The vaccine makers that are quote-unquote really behind are super confident. They might all be doing this just for business, but I don't think so. They're all super confident that their vaccinations are going to be so much better than the first ones to market. And I mean, there's a lot of backing of these people, too. There's a lot of people betting on this particular line uh, of vaccinations. And so... I can't believe, after all the anti-vaxxer jokes I've been making for fucking years, I mean, I really, what a strange fucking scenario I find myself after all the fucking mocking of all the fucking anti-vaxxers I've fucking done for so long. But, yeah. I'm really, I'm really not planning on things getting to a new normal in the next 12 months. At all. And what that means is is that I'm trying to really, on a day-to-day basis, just make little changes that are going to make me happier. I didn't hang up fairy lights here, uh, and I'm going to hang up fairy lights, for instance. I have them. I enjoy them. I just didn't do it because this was a very temporary location. So there's one. And I'm going to get a Christmas tree as soon as I fucking can. I see a Christmas tree that I like, when, whenever that appears, it's coming in. I know I can keep it alive for the rest of the year. Come on, baby. You're coming home with Daddy. I'm not going to dress you up too quick, because that'll be weird, but, you know, I'll I'll get and name a tree, water it, pet it every day, you know? <laughs> and when, you know, December 1st or whatever com- I I named the last one, sure. The last one was named Doug, wasn't it? I think I named him Doug. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was Doug. When I'm rich enough, uh, I will buy a tree every year, but it'll be the same one. I mean this. When I, when I have the means, I will have a Christmas tree every year. There's a service, a nursery service, where they, they bring you the tree December 1st, and then they take them back January 1st, and they keep them alive. So you have the same tree. It's not all that expensive. Really? Because, you know, it's a tree. (laughs) A tree farm. So it's really not that hard to fucking do. It's really the labor intensity, and, you know, all Christmas trees are gonna be door to door delivery this fucking year. (laughs) I mean, I guess not all, but can you fucking imagine the sad fucking Christmas story of the twin pandemics of COVID and flu going around? Then you go to the Christmas tree yard with your old man tradition, the guys. And then you die getting the Christmas tree. You die getting the fucking Christmas tree in America. Dun 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 da But I got the vaccine I tied it all together. Oh yeah I don't know uh I don't know why he he died falling off a cliff of COVID. You can't make it all work off the top of your head. Come on. (laughs) COVID pushed him off a cliff. Uh. (laughs) You got the vaccine, did you? Uh. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised to rate this thing's fucking mutating. Oh, they told us early on, don't worry about mutations. This thing's fucking mutated fucking four times already. Jesus Christ. This thing, this thing is basically going to be a spider that enters our nostrils by the end of this. (laughs) They really did. All the science people say, don't worry about it mutating. And then it mutated so quick in Europe, so quick in Europe. People still don't understand that part about it. I wish I could explain it to you all. One of the reasons why it didn't go around Vietnam or uh, uh, China or uh, uh, South Korea nearly as much as it started going around Europe and North America, there was a mutation that occurred in Europe, and it made it ten times more infectious. And now that strain is getting to Vietnam and South Korean shit, and it's starting to really spread around in there. So, uh, yeah. By the way, New Zealand, I'm pretty sure the bad strain's coming for your fucking kiwi asses too. I'm so tired of your goddamn bullshit. I am so fucking tired of you. Ah, oh, if every country could just treat us like this. Yeah, go back to fucking your fucking sheep. You have one cultural export. His name is Takia, and he left you and he's never coming back. <laughs> Hey man, every day some fucking Kiwi can't wait to talk about how great their country fucking handled this. So, you know what? Collectively, you're all just Kiwis then, and I get to talk shit about all of you. If you're all so good at this one thing. <laughs> Flight of the Concords? Oh man, has anybody brought them up in the last decade? When people were watching Moana, did people go, that voice sounds familiar? Probably won't look it up, though. I'm not actually a big Flight of the Concord fan. I actually don't hate them, uh, but they were not that big. I don't think. They were kind of a nerd, kind of out-rock fit. I mean, they were all right. I don't understand why women like them so much. You know, the prettiest girl on the street slash in the room is not that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you really listen to it. That being said, their fucking sketch on rumors is great. The Fleetwood Mac sketch. If you haven't seen it, uh that's the one to look up. I, that's that's the comedy sketch of Fly the Concords I would pitch. Concords. Fly the Concords, Fleetwood Mac. That's their funniest fucking work as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, now I've offended everybody. So, really, uh, I know that was a big, big segue, but just to get back to it on vaccinations, um, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for the world that we find ourselves in. I came across some really great wording earlier this year, or maybe last year, called an everything problem. Nutrition in America was an everything problem. People keep trying to say, oh, if people just eat better, oh, if people just make better choices, oh, if healthy food was just cheaper, oh, if there weren't food deserts, oh. But, you know, you keep stringing these along and it (laughs) becomes pretty clear, at least to this one sociologist, oh, food in America is an everything problem. There's actually everything wrong with food, at least a little bit, in America. And that's leading to all of America's food problems. And I'm really glad I came across that thinking, that wording, because it leads to an everything solution. And there's no such thing. When you have an everything problem, when you have a big systemic problem, there's no silver bullet an everything solution. A magic bullet, a silver bullet. But that's, you know, American. There's no silver bullet. Okay, but there's no everything solution. And so there's no everything solution to COVID. And if a vaccine comes along and makes this wrong, yippee ki yay motherfuckers. I'll be the first to say, send the fucking hate mail into my DM box. I'll give you the day, the time, I'll be drunk so you can get extra reactions out of me. I am so willing to go in that social dunk tank if I'm wrong about this. But I don't think that there's any reason I don't feel like I'm being Alex Jones or or trying to scare when I say we our sea legs are gonna have to, we're gonna be a sea a little bit longer. So our sea legs are gonna have to be better. And I and that's the that's the end of me hitting that point. And now me going into and I so I need a love seat. I need a love seat from my place so that me and my old cat and she can curl up with me in her old age and put her butt up against me. I wasn't gonna get a love seat because I'm just gonna have to toss it away because I don't wanna live here, but I don't want to live without cuddles and you know, she's getting up there. I don't I don't pass by chances to take a picture of her anymore, you know, at the age she's at. Just saying. So uh even though every part of me says that I shouldn't buy a love seat, I gotta. And I'm gonna, because you you do have to live for yourself and you do have to take care of yourself, even as you keep your sea legs going. Yeah? So, that's what I'm trying to get to. I'm really, really, really trying in my day-to-day life to just, find a way to be happy in my isolation to find a way to be happy and secure in my day-to-day because it is scary and it is hard and it is much more than those things exhausting just exhausting it really is and I can't help but notice that virtually nobody who picked up, like, a hobby in March is still posting about that shit now. <laughs> so I guess, I guess the thrill of bread-breaking and what, card-throwing, whatever the fuck people were really getting into, uh, has worn off. And see, there's the oofs, and there's, yeah, see, there's people feeling called out. Don't feel called out if everybody does it. What that means is, is that we're going to be going in and out of hobbies and shit for a while and we're all just going to have to be patient. We're all just going to have to learn that somebody in their life has picked up power washing or canning or political activism that they're not going to give a shit about in, in three months. <laughs> everyone's making kombucha, everyone's making kimchi. Suddenly everybody realized how great pickles are if you make them at home. I've noticed that myself. Yes, I'm going with food canning as the next one is what I'm anticipating. Food canning really gets all of it together. It's winter, it's food, it's economic. <laughs> you can show it on Instagram. I'm looking forward to seeing the cutest fucking Instagram food canned labels of all time. Can you imagine the Instagram girls and their food can labels? What they're gonna look like? This is why I won't look at an attractive enough woman if she has an Instagram, because it's only a matter of time before she's holding up a bottle of her perfectly fucking tailored, home brewed craft beer that's got like a little cartoon picture of her on it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't read that. Far. Ah. <laughs> 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 So I don't feel bad. I'm going up and down. People like it when you're up. People forgive you when you're down. Just, you know, remember that about yourself as you go through this. You're happy when I'm up and you understand when I'm not. As my fan coming back to this and coming in and out of it. Some of you listening every week and I appreciate you all very much, of course. Uh, And that's... Exactly true for you two. It's not about what you offer somebody right now. People understand that you can be overtaxed and overburdened. I did I did see this thing. I have I'm really picking fights right now, and I'm I don't know why. Uh but I like, guess let's pick another one real quick. So I read this thing about ADHD about how if you have ADHD, you know, it's very hard to find the motivation to complete tasks. And I am sure that that has got to be true. Like, I don't have ADHD. Uh, I'm sure that that's true. But I did have to, and here comes the fucking fight, kids! I did have to uh, just kind of laugh at that, going, nobody has any motivation to get anything done right now, though. So now everyone who reads it. this is going to think they have ADHD. Literally everybody who reads this, no matter what their actual attention level is, deficit or uh, appropriate, they're going to read this going, oh shit, do I have ADHD? I don't have any, I haven't felt motivation to do anything since 2017. I didn't even go and see the Marvel movies and I liked them. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't ADHD is this, 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 and this, and then also motivation's a factor. It was just about somebody in AD, somebody in your life may have a problem with ADHD, or attention, uh, deficit disorder in some way, if they lack motivation to complete projects. Mm. (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Like, that could be a component of it, but I'm almost positive no. If someone in your life is lacking the motivation to do something right now. I think it's because they're sentient. Uh, (laughs) I think it's because they've got just enough brain cells with just enough information bubbling around to go, icky, 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 icky. (laughs) When I found out that the number one fucking drug Among the youth of America, we're talking like 14 through 17-year-olds, for years and years. Do you guys know what this is? And don't say booze. I'm not cheating. I'm talking like narcotic here. See, Adderall, uh, okay, okay, Adderall is probably correct. Adderall is probably uh, correct from a technical standpoint. I'm actually not including Adderall, uh, after the ADHD wind-up pitch. Uh... I'm actually not gonna clue Adderall all and, and people using it for speed. Uh, cough syrup is up the cough syrup's pretty good. Uh, it's Benny's. Benos. Benzos are back. <laughs> now for those of you who don't know what a Benny or a Benzo is or what it does, it basically just dips you out of reality. You take one of these, and you basically just kind of leave. Everything gets tuned down real low. It's like being drunk without suffering the alcohol poisoning that it takes to get this. Right? And so... When I found that out, that especially boys in this group, 14 through 17, drug users, uh, were just super fucking into Benny's. I mean, that's... That, that was a real moment of awakening for me because that usage, that usage group is, you know, largely white, largely college-bound as, as a demographic, yeah? And this is confirmed, this is knowing, this is self-reporting drug abusers. Uh, well, see, there's, there's a lot of talk about the ease of getting it and what have you. I don't. I'm going to have to disagree with that. The easiest drugs to get are still fucking booze and weed. There's no question on that. Literally, there's 14 year old I literally got offered weed by a fucking 14-year-old. Uh, <laughs> walking down the street not too long ago. <laughs> and I was like, I don't smoke flour. And he's all, word! Like, he was really very okay with that answer. <laughs> I just sing the fucking flower friend. He didn't say anything like that. He's 14. He's trying to act tough. I could pick him up and throw him on top of a building with my left arm. <laughs> But he was trying to act real tough to me, and I just thought, well, what would happen if it worked? What if you intimidated me? What's your plan B, Timmy? Get back in school. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's weed and it's booze still. And then I think probably, vennies are not that easy to get for, or, uh, for large uh, sections compared to meth. There's so much fucking meth still. (laughs) Like, we just started talking about the opioid epidemic in this country, but, like, there's still just tons of fucking meth flowing around. It never ended. Just stand outside a trailer park for 15 minutes, just watch the entrance and exit. You will see meth. You will see it travel. (laughs) You'll know it when you fucking see it. So, the fact that these kids just, like, are just trying to dip out, just trying to dip out of existence with their free time and their drug money. Ah, it was a real moment of awakening for me. There's a real nihilism uh, in the Zoomers. Uh, Like, a real nihilism in them. Self-nihilism, social, the whole thing. And nihilism, not in the cool way that, like, was always presented in the 90s and shit, Uh, until kids started fucking shooting up schools. Oh, oh, is nihilism cool? Okay, is that what you're saying for a decade straight? Neat. Huh. All right. Well, maybe we should fucking embrace that shit. <laughs> but like real nihilism in the zoomers is what I perceive, and I don't want to shake my cane. I don't want to I don't want to say it in any bad way cuz I legitimately think they're the best generation yet. I mean that sincerely. I call them fearless. I call them the fearless generation, and I mean that entirely. They are totally unafraid, totally unafraid, to talk to you about political, economic, religious power systems. They are terrified of ordering a pizza in person. It's a strange generation. I can't quite make them out. (laughs) They've got... They've got a they are willing to fucking put on a riot shield that they made out of a stop sign that they pulled out of a fire but if you if you tell them that they use the wrong pronoun they will blush and walk down an alley to never see you again. It's a weird generation. I'm not quite sure what to do with them. Uh. <laughs> I just know that if I came politically aware in the Trump era, and then you forced fucking Biden versus Trump on me after four years of Trump, I'd be like, "Yeah, fuck you! I'm out of this system." <laughs> i I barely had enough. I barely you've barely brought me in with fucking Gore, Nader, and Bush, and I was still like, "This is just a clusterfuck." And that's when me I was coming of fucking age. So yeah, I can only really imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a fun one, not for any of you, but this is a great one for me. I'm just fucking shooting bullets everywhere. It's a great time to be Jack <laughs> when i when I look at the I wouldn't say self-defeat. We were self-defeated. Millennials were self-defeated. I wouldn't say self-defeat. When I look at the nihilism or the openness or the challenging uh, that's coming out of Gen Z, I 100% think about how, how strange and quickly evolving this year has been and how hard it's been for all of us. And just as I was earlier saying about, you guys like me when I'm up, you guys forgive me when I'm down, you guys are being patient with me, and other people are doing the same with you. That is coming, right? Unfortunately, that is coming from an asymmetrical position. It's because I have a community. It's because I have a podcast. It's because I have a talent or a series of them that you like. Thank you very much for that. Uh, But if I didn't have that, the solidarity I would get in this world is really, really slim. And one of the things that women like about me, and I think are most attracted to me, quite frankly, are the fact that I'm willing to be so empowering, or that I'm willing to give solidarity to women so immediately, and without any kind of uh, expectation or thought. The fact that I'm willing to compliment a woman so quickly, but not on her physicality. Or not on something that's sexual, but something that you have to actually notice besides those things. Women really like that about me. And some women have even ask me how I do it or how I learn to, because they practically consider it to be fucking witchcraft. Uh, but at the end of the day, it it came from emptiness. How do I know what to say to a depressed person? Depression. And how do I know what to give a compliment to somebody. I never got them. I never got them at all, as a child or adolescent. I, I I probably banged this wrong too much recently, but I've had a lot of breakthroughs. And I had to give them to myself if I wanted them. And I desperately did want social approval so much, and I just could not get it inside my house or anywhere else. And so the practice of complimenting somebody and giving them a really good compliment is something I practiced at like a hundred times inside my head. And when I wanted to compliment somebody, I was so nervous and I was such a pariah that I had to make it perfect and write it over and over and over again. And I knew even then my delivery wasn't gonna be so good. But you know me and trying, You know me, and giving it another shot, even after everybody else says there's no way he should ever do that again. So, I learned to see somebody enough to give him a compliment pretty early on. And the talent never really went away. That solidarity is entirely missing from an entire generation. Gen Z, if they don't give it to themselves, they don't get it. And I see it happening all the time. Why am I focusing so much on them? Well, the answer is is they're the ones out in the fucking streets, for the good or the bad, whatever you see it is. Largely, that's them. And... (laughs) <laughs> right before I uh, started tonight, one of the last stories that I read—I'm allowed to read stories before a live show because it fucking amps me up better than caffeine ever it could—is it a, a a young gal uh, set up a, a protest for for BLM. Of uh, just a protest, absolutely no damage, nothing incurred. Police came uninvited, watched over it, and then sent her a bill for twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta you gotta laugh at this you gotta laugh at this thing before you fucking scream so that's where the laughter is coming from because you know like it's one of those stories like hey how do you fucking even tell this story without losing your mind and going straight to trotsky uh but <laughs> this is this is this is what it means to try and be a well-meaning Black activist Gen Zer right now, like if that story doesn't doesn't a hundred percent just kind of bring it all together for you, I don't know what does. These kids are being told that they're spreading COVID, that it's their fault, <laughs> when they're watching the people who say that walk around without a mask and shit. Uh, they're watching the police side with people with fucking guns and threats and violence in their eyes and still policing the black side of the protest of the street entirely sometimes, quite heavily usually. They're watching their political system just totally, just totally pretend to be so progressive When it's a Democrat, so it's the most, Joe Biden is the most progressive plank. Do you understand how fucking progressive Biden Harris are? And knowing how fucking untrue every, they can't, like just how insulted they are with the level of political information that they can't even get from their leaders. Okay. Yeah, of course, Joe Biden's not that progressive, but come on, man. It's Trump. What are you going to (laughs) do? That's just nothing but lying and gaslighting about every issue that you hate. But really, these damn kids are being blamed for more than you ever were. I know. Because I was blam- blamed with the destruction of America. Newt Gingrich fucking blame me. Jerry Falwell Sr. fucking blame me. His fucking kid probably watching him fuck his mommy, which is how he fucking got into that, fucking probably blame me at some point. I didn't really goddamn catch it. Oh, that's right. Did you find out that cock met Jerry Falwell Jr. this whole time after years of talking about it? There it is. The two biggest Christians in America are Mike Pence and Jerry Falwell Jr. Mike Pence just told the greatest fucking lie I've ever heard in politics, and Jerry Falwell Jr. loves watching his wife get boned and using the congregation's money to pay for it. Anyway, these kids... (laughs) There's no solidarity for them, except amongst themselves and so they have it for themselves. There's a real zeer identity and it's enviable and I, I I just, I see it really coming out. I see it really being positive. I encourage it. If you look at somebody who's younger these days and you think that they have a fantastic energy or appeal or you, you want the way they change the world to be meaningful, open your heart and ask yourself, what would it be like if your first two political elections were in this system? What would it be like if you watched peaceful protest after peaceful protest just get maligned? What would it be like if every single person of your generation who got up just a little bit, after being told the tallest poppy gets cut down by all the other poppies, after watching these children stand up, I shouldn't say children, watching these fellow peers stand up, only to get cut down by adults? Only to repeatedly be destroyed by adults? And then I leave it with this because life is fucking hard right now, but then I think about how hard this woman's life is. This is a real woman. I don't know her well, but I do know her. And this is her fucking, she didn't give me permission to say this, by the way, so I'm gonna have to be vague. She's a doctor. She's not a doctor of something. She's an MD, geez, you hear me? She's a medical doctor. She's a doctor, honey. I'm laying that down because she didn't actually really want to be a doctor super much, but her parents really did, and they said it to her over and over again that she should be a doctor. So she's a doctor, and she actually likes it, and she's actually grateful for it. So why is her life hard, and why am I saying a doctor's life hard after all the fucking rants I've done about medical stuff? Here. We. Go. Because her parents who asked her to become a doctor over and over and over again, and you know how parents ask something like that over and over and over again, and she listened to them and actually followed it, she became a doctor, and then she's trying to tell them about fucking COVID. I think you know where this is going. After a lifetime of asking her to study medicine, (laughs) And her studying medicine, to the point that she becomes the thing that they ask, and they're all happy with that. She then tells them about how horrible the situation is (laughs) in her fucking ward. In her system. Because she's one of those who's juggling the phones, she's one of those doctors who's juggling the phones to call other doctors to be all like, how much space do you think you got today? She's one of those. I guess all of them are at some point, now, anymore, if, if you're high enough ranking. Uh, and they tell her that she's lying. They haven't said it once. They haven't said it twice. She's at the point where she can't talk to her parents because she knows that she's just going to cry and cry and cry after because now they even, like, bring it up. Like, now they'll even be like, oh, that sickness that's going to go away on November 4th. Like, they go out of their way now to say shit like that to her. And I just think about how hard that must be. And how many people have an actual, like, really difficult relationship in this life that they're getting through. And I'm, I try and, i try and remember that. I try and remember that however fucked and horrible I think everything is, that I should try and make people laugh and tell stories and weave narratives together. Because um, it's not as crazy as being a teacher right now. Could you—I never thought— I never thought... You know what? I'm going to go on a just a little bit longer about this. I'm sorry. I'm just... Just because we hit on professions, a couple of neurons connected there. Just two quick things. That just, like, even if this was in a RoboCop movie... I know, no, I know a lot of you haven't seen RoboCop, but the commercials in RoboCop are very satirical and over-the-top and, like, really fun. You can just, like, YouTube RoboCop commercials. Uh, <laughs> they're very, very good. If... You saw this in a Robocop fucking movie or a satire about like the apocalypse. I wouldn't fucking believe it. But just real quick th- yeah, I think this is the point to end it on. I'll end it on just this one. There's wildfires going on in California. You may have heard you may have not. The second biggest fire in California history was just happening in California maybe you didn't know because of how crazy everything is that's actually fair <laughs> so this fire usually has a lot of australians helping out with it in the california fire season but the fire season doesn't really end anymore between california and australia there used to be a little layway we would ship them back and forth our excess firefighters we had a Little thing going, California, Australia, about 40 million people each, pretty big area, uh, worked out pretty well. But the fire season's now longer, and so California has had to dip further and further into what's called the inmate firefighting program, in which firefighters who have felonies are thrown out of planes with axes, so largely black and latin men, Uh, (laughs) because it's better than sitting in a fucking cage, really. Uh, There's a couple of benefits, but uh, that's what it really comes down to. The prison system in America is so bad, they're like, go attack fire with an axe, asshole. And they're like, okay, better than sitting around here. Well. That's already pretty crazy, right? Like, you tell that to somebody from Europe. Like, somebody had a 3.5 fucking grams of wheat on them, so now they attack fire with an axe for three to four months out of the year every year, right? Like, you just gotta explain that to Europeans, but you get over that real quick. That's not even the apocalypse. That's just America for the last 20 years. They've just been relying on this more and more for two decades now. Uh, here's the crazy, like, apocalypse you got to buck up and be as good as a school teacher jack uh configuration of these things so now because australia can't really send us the firefighting man hours that they used to be able to uh and we've been relying on these uh prisoners so much now the fire is spreading like crazy why oh we don't have enough prisoners right now to throw at the fires because of the pandemic that we didn't give a shit about (laughs) until it was too late because we had to depopulate the prisons because otherwise it was just chain bouncing around inside there so what's the solution to this of course guess what they're saying right now is that they'll just have to lower the standards for the firefighting inmate program because what else are we going to do as a society? <laughs> so that's the answer being proposed. No, we can't arrest more. No, we can't arrest more because we're already letting the ones inside go free and we already don't have the money to pay for them. This is going to be a real thing. This hasn't shown up yet. But, like, America's budget is really locked in and it's based on projections that end in June. And so, (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but America's been through some shit in the last two months that kind of say that maybe those budgets aren't really going to work out. So there's going to be a lot of people getting home from prison early. I don't know if you all read the Dirty John story. That dude got fucking, no, no, I'm against the prison system, but this is actually not a great thing. (laughs) There's a, I don't know if you guys know about Dirty John. It's one of the best series of articles. It's a podcast. It's a TV show now. I fucking love it. Uh. Dirty John's the real-life story of a guy who's just a real fucking bastard. Dirty's like the nicest word you could use to describe this dude. And he becomes a guest of the state real briefly, and he's supposed to be in there for about three and a half years. But then because of budget cuts comes out, he gets out in about four months and then he goes on a reign of fucking terror. So like, expect some Dirty John stories, because the prison reform system needs some help. But what it absolutely positively does not need is people going, Yeah, you're a recidivist violent offender, but uh, we don't have the money to hold you after treating you like an animal in here for 18 years of the last 25. Go, 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 Mr. Mad Dog. (laughs) By the way, halfway houses got closed down way before we let you out. (laughs) And there is a homeless epidemic, I don't know if you've heard it, there's a lot of epidemics going around Mad Dog and the news in here is pretty stifled, cause when you read it gets a little punchy. So, like, just, like, get ready for a lot of, I went with Mad Dog so that you would all picture a white guy, I'm just trying to be progressive here, Mad Dog is clearly a biker, he was clearly, (laughs) he was clearly on Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> exactly. Mad Dog clearly sells crystal. He's clearly a white criminal. I don't know what you thought this this this, this Supermax facility outside of Tahoe, all right? I don't want you to think I'm going down. <laughs> I don't know why a Supermax outside of Tahoe is so fucking funny to me, but it is. It is. It is. Yeah, I went to Supermax outside of Aspen. (laughs) All right, let's start the fucking show. Beloved, I have to adore the earth. The wind must have heard your voice once. It echoes and sings like you. The soil must have tasted you once, it is laden with your sin. The trees honor you in gold and blush when you pass. I know why the north country is frozen. It has been trying to preserve your memory. I know why the desert burns with fever. It was wept too long without you. On hands and knees, the ocean begs up the beach and falls at your feet. I have to adore the mirror of the earth. You have taught her well how to be so beautiful. Love Song by Henry Moss I crave your mouth, your voice, your hair, silent and starving. I prowl through the streets. Bread does not nourish me dawn disrupts me. All day I hunt for the liquid measure of your steps. I hunger for your sleek laugh, your hands the color of a savage harvest. Hunger for the pale stones of your fingernails. I want to eat your skin like a hole almond. I want to eat the sunbeam flaring in your lovely body, the sovereign nose of your arrogant face. I want to eat the fleeting shade of your lashes and I pace around hungry, sniffing in the twilight, hunting for you, for your hot heart, like a puma in the barrens, a quietru. Love Sonnet Number 11 by Pablo Neruna Isn't that how the best of it should be, Taking the body to the point at which it almost breaks, And then returning, having had your faith restored In the miraculous fragility of the self? The night I almost ended us, it was your sobbing brought me back. We talked ourselves together and the next day still wearing your hand around my neck. I found I was struggling to swallow. Every mouthful was a labor became aware of the mechanics of my body. I could feel parts of myself that would usually go unnoticed. After your hand had been on my throat, I learnt the pleasure in possessing capacities that are never quite fulfilled, almost being broken, almost leaving, but deciding to tough it out. Choke, Andrew Macmillan. A sweet disorder in the dress kindles in clothes and wantonness, a lawn about the shoulders thrown into fine distraction, an erring lace which here and there enthralls the crimson stomach air, a cuff night neglectful and thereby rebinds <laughs> to flow confused lie. A winning wave deserving note, and in the temptuous petticoat, a careless shoestring in whose tie I see wild civility. Do more bewitch me than when art. It is too precise in every part. Light in Disorder Robert Herrick Oof. I love you guys, but there's a limit on sonnets that I'm willing to do in one evening, so I will do one more sonnet. In the old age, black was not counted fair, or if it were, it bore not beauty's name. But now, in black beauty's successive hair, and beauty slandered, with a bastard shame. For since each hand hath put on nature's power, Faring the foul with art's false borrowed face, Sweet beauty hath no name, no holy bower, It is profaned, if not lives in disgrace. Therefore my mistress's eyes are raven black, Her eyes so suited that the mourners seem, At such who, not born fair, no beauty lack, Slandering creation with a false esteem. Yet so they mourn becoming of their woe that every tongue says beauty should look so. Uh, I don't have an author here. I have the Dark Lady sonnets, if you want, to find out more about the Dark Lady and her beauty. We've got one last poem tonight. Thank you for everybody who requested one. I want to fuck the self-doubt out of you drive the ghosts from your darkness, leave you a mess, a tangled, breathless, glowing body. To run my fingertips up and down over your hips, to down every ridge of your spine, to watch the constellation dance in their way. I want to love you until you burn so brightly I can no longer touch your skin. I am the left laying in your star fields, bathing in the moonlight, sleeping in your afterglow. Tyler Kent White All right, guys, we've got a couple of things to read before the smut tonight. Won't you be so kind if you do have a quick quote? Just go ahead and get that ready for me. Carry me down into that liquid place again Where we met without talking Even though sometimes we're talking Where we laugh without making a sound The punchlines floating off untethered And the corners of your mouth tilting up Like commas around some beautiful phrase we don't have to try to remember. Wedge your knee between my thighs, slip your fingers into me again, let them be glazed with human light, and lift them to your lips, let them tell you what they found, I'll kneel before the sunset of your skin, its pale tone beginning to blush evenly, every cell inspired, to read, pushing towards that ruddiness of purpose, that sigh. My hands will wrap around the tendons of your wrist to hold you there, lowered over me like clouds before a storm. The enormous thunder, and then. The rain. Late afternoon, Mollyfish. <clears throat> My dearest Ally. I couldn't sleep last night because I know that it's over between us. I'm not bitter anymore, because I know that what we had was real. And if in some distant place in the future we should see each other in our new lives, I'll smile at you with joy and remember how we spent a summer beneath the trees learning from each other and growing in love. The best love is the kind that awakens the soul and makes us reach for more, then plants a fire in our hearts and brings peace to our minds, and that's what you've given me, that's what I'd hope to give you forever. I love you. I'll be seeing you. Noah. The Notebook, a love letter. Sophie. To be with the people one loves, says La bire is enough. To dream you are speaking them, not speaking to them, thinking of them, thinking of them most in different things, but that their side, nothing else, matters. Oh, mon ami, how true that is. And it is also true that when one acquires such a habit, it becomes a necessary part of one's existence. Alas, I well know I should know too well Since the three mouths that I sigh far away from thee That I possess thee no more than my happiness has departed However, when every morning I wake up, I look for you It seems to me that half of myself is missing And that is too true Twenty times during the day I ask myself where you are Judge how strong the illusion is How cruel it is to see it vanish When I go to bed, I do not fall... Do not fail to make room for you. I push myself quite close to the wall and leave a great empty space in my small bed. This movement is mechanical. These thoughts are involuntary. Ah, how one accustoms oneself to happiness. Alas, one only knows it is well when one has lost it. And I'm sure we have only... Learn to appreciate how necessary we are to each other since the thunderbolt has parted us. The source of our tears has not dried up. Dear Sophie, we cannot become healed. We have enough in our hearts to love always, because of that, enough to weep always. Signed simply, Gabriel. So, Gabriel to Sophie. And one last one. Thank you for all the love letters tonight and a really great, uh, really great variety. My letters will have shown you how lovely I am. I don't dine at court. I see few people. I take my walks alone and at every beautiful spot. I wish you were there. I can't help loving you more than is good for me. I shall feel all the happier when I see you again. I am always conscious of my nearness to you. Your presence never leaves me. In you, I have a measure for every woman, for every one in your love, a measure for all that is to be. Not in the sense that the rest of the world seems obscure tome. On the contrary, your love makes it clear. And I see quite clearly what men are like and what they pain, wish, do, and enjoy. I don't grudge them that. They have, after comparing as a secret joy to me, possessing as I do not such, imperishable treasure. You and your household must feel as I often do in my affairs. We often don't notice objects simply because we don't choose to look at them. But things acquire an interest as soon as we see clearly. That way they are related. To each other, for we always like to join in, and the good man takes pleasure in arranging, putting in order, and furthering the right and its peaceful rule. Adieu, you whom I love, un thousand times. Johann Wolfgang, oh sorry, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, to Charlotte von Stein Goethe. I guess before they were married. I didn't think he would write something so fucking romantic. It's pretty self-involved at the beginning there. You don't read a lot of love letters that start off with, I'll show you how lovely I am. I fucking love to eat alone. I love it when the chat can't talk, but they want to. They want to clap and they want to see them. But they're being good girls. Example, good girl. I'm sorry you had a hard day, baby. Let me carry you to the bedroom and make you forget all about it. Baby, you are not crazy. The world is crazy. Not you, the world. Oh, sweetheart. I know you've been working so hard. Come to bed. Snuggle with daddy, baby girl. You're such a good girl, Sierra. And you are. Carla, keep up the good work. Daddy sees that you're trying to do your best. On your knees, baby girl. Daddy wants to see what that pretty mouth of yours can do. You're doing so well, Chastity. I'm very proud of my good girl. Bend over and spread that pussy wide open for me, baby girl. It would seem that you, my dear Jeanette, that you need a reminder of just who's in charge. Jeanette or Janet? Assuming Janet. I want to make it a Rocky Horror lesson now. Bend over, baby. You're going to wear this for me. All damn Nay. All right, get him in. Get him in. Hold your peace. Jannet. Damn it, Jannet. I love you. It's the absolute sleeper of that fucking movie. It's just a really great melody. Nope. Escaping Rocky Horror. I once worked with a girl whose name, actual name, actual fucking name was Shaka Khan. First and middle, Shaka Khan. First name, Shaka. Middle name, Khan. Had to pull out her ID like once a fucking week. (laughs) I bet less now. (laughs) All right, you guys over? All right, y'all done with it? I'm just going to go back to making Shaka Khan jokes. Shaka Khan. You guys don't even know what Shaka Khan is. If you look it up, you better be prepared. You've been living, been living lives just on the range. Everybody has to learn about Shaka Khan, the original Old Town Road. Oh, I'm excited for this one. You know, I'll, yes, listen, sure, but less people know who Shaka Khan is on this side of the year 2000 than the other, so that's all I'm saying. That's it. Fucking Netflix started playing, oh, I can't stand that piece of shit. What is his name? Oh, this is going to drive me, I was just about to get into porn too. This is like the ultimate blue balling of you guys. The hell is his name from the 70s? I just hate him. I just hate him. And Netflix just putting him in everything because his catalog recently became digitally available. What is the name of that fucking asshole? Is it Gordon Lightfoot? It's not, I mean, I hate Gordon Lightfoot. I do. Listen, man, it's just a song about a sinking boat. It's not that fucking great. You need to get over it. If you're fucking, if you're fucking a Gordon Lightfoot fan, oh, (laughs) it's not him. He doesn't actually drive me nuts. It's just way too much about a fucking boat. (laughs) Who is it? Oh, this is gonna... I can see his stupid face. He looks like Randy Newman, and he drives me as nuts as Randy Newman. (sighs) It's just... Yeah, he's a solo artist. Because that's what you did in the 70s. You'd just be like, Simon and Garfunkel, fuck that. I'm just Paul Simon now, asshole. This is my friend Billy Joel, and this is this is our friend Elton John. Yeah, in the 70s, you didn't really, if you were a guy with musical talent, you didn't really have to do a band. That's why the bands are all like, did you know Creed from The Office was in a band? Yeah, because he wasn't that talented or else we would know his fucking name, he would have been a solo act. Instead he had to be like, The Dreamers. Hey everybody, what you gonna do? We're The Dreamers. <laughs> I think he was actually in The Animals and that was actually super dope. He wasn't quite in The Animals, but he was actually one of the really good ones. Creed from The Office, if you didn't know. It's kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, he was just a guy. God, we have to, we have to. Oh, I fucking hate 60s rock so much. 70s rock isn't much better, but at least the psychedelic stuff can be fun. And at least they pulled from that and made it interesting in the modern era. There's nothing, nobody's pulling from 50s or 60s white fucking rock, though, at all. You've noticed that, I'm sure you have. They'll sometimes pull from like uh Motown and shit from that era because sometimes that stuff is still pretty good, but they never fucking pull from the fuck like unless it's the Beatles, unless it's absolute top shelf, they never fucking pull from these assholes that I was supposed to think were so great growing up and I sure fucking didn't. While you listening to Chuck Berry, they would ask me and the answer is because I fucking moved my ass to little Richard and Chuck Berry. If we're going to listen to music from this fucking, these fucking shitty decades, make it the good stuff. I was eight. I didn't know. I just wanted to... Sh- I didn't even know what gay was or that Little Richard could be. I just knew that me requesting him infuriated the elders. How dare you request Little Richard? How dare you think he's so cool? And for the life of me, I think I might have brought this up before, but... Like, somebody told me why it, why it wasn't okay to like Little Richard, but without getting into homosexuality, right? Like, what people think of me. And they're all like, well, he's just very flamboyant. And didn't know what that word was. And then they described it about, like, being really over the top and, like, performing and all that, right? And, like, he, he wears all these really expensive clothes and his hair. And, like, he's a guy who does all this. And I swear to Christ, this is true. And I just looked at this adult man trying to, like, police sexuality, right? And and gender and all that shit, and pretending that they don't. Uh, and I swear to Christ, I looked at him because I'm this huge wrestling fan at this age, too. And I said, like Macho Man Randy Savage? And the look on his fucking face. Because <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage is flamboyant. His hair is all, he's wearing expensive clothes and an outfit. Everything you just said about Little Richard is true of him. So... <laughs> I love pointing out to wrestling fans that Macho Man was not that macho and they never really noticed <laughs> They always just kind of went along with the fact that Liberace as a professional wrestler was up in front of their faces and they never really even took a little snippet of a bite. I can't fucking remember his name. All Now it's all names that are actual guys that are fucking the top of bands from back then that I like. It's like John Crosby's in my head. Fucking, uh... I can't. I can't even think of, if I could just sing you a couple of bars of one of his horrible songs, but then would be stuck in all of our heads and continue to rack it around until it destroyed the universe. I'm just going to have to, before the episode comes out, I'll remember it, and I'll just scream it out loud, and then I'll DM Allie, and then she'll have to write it down. I know at this point, it's not Rick Springfield. He's so Randy Newman, but it's not Randy, I mean, I hate fucking, since Toy Story, I've hated Randy Newman. (laughs) <laughs> Don't not tell me. But... No, it's not a hit like that. Oh, if Bruce is the boss then I fucking quit. But this is a little bit earlier than Springsteen. And also, I just want to say, however much I hate Bruce Springsteen, the fuck that I say, if Bruce is the boss, then I fucking quit every time, even though nobody laughs with me, but that's showbiz, baby. I will say, Bruce Springfield, really, uh, Springsteen, really ahead. Of the whole white guy talking about black violence thing. For all his fucking faults and flaws, that dude was super far ahead of that curve if we're going to be in this movement trashing these rockers right now. Uh, he's got a whole song. 41 shots? Uh, and that's literally about just a just a uh, police encounter with a black guy in one uh, time. Uh... It's not Neil. Fuck. Not Neil Young. Uh, Bob. Who? What's Bob's last name? Oh, this is... A, no. Fuck no, not Bob. No, Bob Dylan's a crazy fucking gremlin of a poet. And, like, I don't love his music, but, like, I'm all for more Bob Dylan. Seeger! Bob Seeger, yes! Thank you! I fucking hate Seeger! That's who it is, that's why I got so excited Bob, that is his first name, Bob Seeger, and I fucking hate Bob Seeger so fucking much, you have no clue, I got so excited, you said Bob, and it like brought it back just a little, This a little Twin Peaks, Bob, Bob, I think that might, yes, Bob fucking Seeger, and I fucking can't fucking stand him. And they're playing his music all the time in TV shows and shit, and I'll just stop watching the TV show. I won't skip to the next episode or anything, and I'm like, you know what, fuck you, tainted out. I really hate Bob fucking Seeger. I think after, especially I just said all those other names that I didn't hate so much, you can really tell. There's just a couple, he's the Regina Spectre of men. Just everything he sings is fucking annoying. It's just fucking annoying. Any Regina Spectre fans out there can't fucking stand her. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my (laughs) heart. Now, if that was annoying, you should listen to her song. Because she will sing it another 16 fucking times in a row. And Bob Seger will do the exact same thing, only with two guitar chords, and he'll just keep going back to him, Just in and out. You know the song Smoke on the Water? B-A-B-B-A-B-A. Bob Seger is that, but he never leaves. <laughs> Ugh. All right. All right, I can get offered. Uh, everybody now knows my feelings about Bob Seeger. That's enough for me. I really got to express that. I've lost a lot of fans. I picked fight with ADHD community. They already forgot about it. Pause for effect. <laughs> <laughs> God, I just you know, made everybody sad. But then I talked about the cat rubbing up against me, and I kind of got good points. So <clears throat> it's the sh- it's the show. <laughs> let's let's move into the fucking porn. Thank you guys for making this. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Tammy. Really, because I could have been here all night, and I just couldn't get that fucking. Sometimes a name, you just kind of you can't. <sighs> That's just so nice. It really is. Oh, I'll be able to get to sleep tonight and I won't the best part about that is, is I'm not going to wake up sometime in the next 48 hours just going popsiger popsiger <laughs> having to having to run to my fucking computer or phone and like punching it in to make sure it's correct <laughs> No, I think the title, for once I'm going to suggest a title, I mean don't do it if it's not good, Ali, because you come up with great titles, everybody compliments your titles real fucking great, but like, you should definitely hint to the fact that there's, there's a name that I can't come up with, <laughs> and then don't tell them the timestamp of when I come up with the fucking, <laughs> make everybody suffer through that shit like we all had to do, uh, 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 uh. You, wanna, you don't get to just celebrate the walking, walking in the desert. You're gonna go walking. (laughs) Bob is pretty good. Bob... uh... Bob who? (laughs) And then you said Dylan! And it just flew by! And there's an alternate universe where I just, that's it. I just start talking about Bob Dylan. Start talking about Jacob Dylan. I go, he's from the 90s, and I started trying to work it back that way, because I called Bob Dylan a magical gremlin poet, or whatever it was. And then I was going to say, and Jacob Dylan's kind of the same, quite frankly. He's not as good. He's kind of the hobbit knockoff to the Lord of the Rings of his dad, but he does kind of do the same thing. It's pretty pretty remarkable, really, that that's genetic, apparently. Like, I'm going to sing it, you girl. I'm going to make a weird face while I do it, too. Daddy taught me. (laughs) I'm going to sing about how loving you is destruction. Get wet for it. All right. (laughs) Supermax outside of Tahoe. Yeah, Supermax outside of Tahoe is actually pretty fucking funny of a statement. I have no idea why. It's just such an American statement, but also it's hilarious. And I really am thinking, like, there's got to be a Supermax, like, right outside of Aspen or something. Like, maybe not because of NIMBY laws, but just statistically speaking, we do house all the prisoners at this point in America. Everybody else let them go for COVID. It's really just us, North Korea. <laughs> you know, a couple places like that. So... uh I don't know. Statistically speaking, there's gotta be one. They're not gonna close down the supermaxes when they run out of fucking money. Oh, I gotta stop talking about America. All right. <clears throat> Above the venerable silver shop in the Burlington arcade, he taught her the uses of pleasure. Not the nervous handed, spring loaded fumblings of teenage lust. Or the ego abraded outcomes of young love. Very specific. Mr. Pierce offered Rebecca schooling in something quite different. After... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. After quitting an English degree halfway through the first semester, alienated by the prospect of having to read and deconstruct Waiting for Godot? In French? For the sake of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> That's an English one oh one class, kids. Usually you just have to learn how to write like a five-page essay at a fancy college. Five paragraph one the one down the street. So that that is a fucking English one oh one course if I ever fucking heard it. Oh, so you want to know English, do you? Well you better speak fucking French. What the fuck is going on? We're three paragraphs into this story and I'm losing my shit. What the fuck? All right. Rebecca Holloway found herself both directionally and financially at a loss. Near Earl's court, she rented a drab bedside with... <laughs> Dernali... Cyclical smells? Ooh, I don't know this word. D i u. R N A L L Y, and I pronounced it like the fucking Mountain Denali, but that's definitely not how you do it. Denali, cyclical smells. I don't know that one. In the morning, inevitably, steak, burnt toast. At midday, it was redolent with the smell of bleach. And by nightfall, every rental room in the house was infused with the ghost of overboiled cabbage. Having only ever had a Saturday job selling trendy clothes for pocket money What year does this take place in? The possibility of full and gainful employment was daunting. But a lowering of expectations and a careful scanning of the ads in the- Oh, Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. (laughs) I don't like where this is going. (laughs) Within a week, she found a position as silver polisher and part-time shop assistant at Holmes' son Silversmith in an arcade just off Bond Street. I really have no idea where this fucking takes place. It was neither her previous work experience nor her successfully completed A-levels that got her the job. It was the fact that her antiquarian father had taught her how to decipher hallmarks on how to tell solid from playday skill. She hadn't dreamed it would come in handy. Well, an arcade, like a hundred years ago, was kind of a fancy thing and didn't have games in it. But, like, pocket money <laughs> didn't happen a hundred years ago, and you didn't let women wear the house to sell quote unquote trendy clothes back when an arcade would need a silver polisher. And I'm also just reminded of that shitty fucking book, The Alchemist, that I read. At a real low point in my life. (laughs) And at one point, the alchemist just fucking starts polishing crystal. And, like, the owner of the crystal is just all like, Nobody buys any crystal. Why are you polishing it? Guy I just hired to polish the crystal. He's like, I don't know. I'm the alchemist. I'm going to polish this crystal. And then he makes everybody rich. And that's all I'm thinking about. But that's not what's going to fucking happen with Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca fell. Rebecca dropped out of her first paper, and her apparently antiquated father's all like, Fuck it, I don't know. Let's get you a job. <laughs> there was, of course, no Mr. Holmes or Mr. Holmes Jr. Ugh. Oh, this story lied to us. The business name and the stock had been sold on long ago to another proprietor with a less auspicious name. Oh no! <laughs> Miss Patel, very inauspicious. We interviewed and made it clear that Rebecca's chief job was to assist Mr. Pearson polishing the silver as it tarnished, make minor repairs, and otherwise remain scarce. She was only to be seen on the shop floor at the morning and afternoon delivery of tea at the salesperson's and the stirring the lunchtime lull when the sales took their lunch. Otherwise, she should remain invisible on account of her dyed purple hair and the ring in her nose. <sighs> I don't know when the year. Which didn't bring the right tune. To the establishment, so she's really like in the '90s or 2000s or some shit. Like Joan Osborne, like is playing in the Bat. Like, what if I was what I was? but people are boiling cabbage, and she's a silversmith at an arcade. So just, this is the world of the dick. This is why you all love me so much, and why I do well. I don't have to tell you about like the annex of the. Office that you're in before we fuck. Ugh. Oh. <clears throat> I get to be as cruel as I want after that Patel bullshit. That's some racist fucking stuff, man. That's just straight fucking racism. The low ceiling room above the shop was dark. Light crept in from two small windows that let it out onto the upper levels of an arcade that was almost two door in age. No, it's not. No, it's not. Night and day, summer and winter, the workspace was lit by a strong of bare bulbs that ran down the ceiling of the tunnel-like room. The walls were unevenly plastered in the way that you only see in black-and-white movies, and down the long walls still a massive set of shelves groaning under the weight of row upon row of old silver, Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Nouveau, and Deco. There was no new silver." What? Holmes and sons had ceased to be silversmiths long ago. Now they were the Aladdin's cave of everything your mother didn't want to have to polish. Roughly in the center of the room was a long, wide, wooden work table, half covered in newspaper, and laden with all manner of silver objects in need of attention. There were two chairs opposite of each other at the table, reminding Rebecca of the sort you saw in paintings of the old school houses. Wooden. Upright. And the best description of furniture ever. Mean. In this domain, Mr. Pierce's preserve, he showed her how to set out the silver tea surface. <laughs> Place the spoons onto the china cups and saucers in the rigid grid like horror. <laughs> On first meeting him, Rebecca thought he would have made the perfect butler in a murder mystery. He was tallish, thick-set man of about 50 with a pale complexion and graying hair cropped close to his skull. His eyes were grayish-blue, and he had a look of perpetual disinterest. He seldom spoke in sentences and preferred to pass on his knowledge by showing rather than explaining. It was approach he took to everything Rebecca was later to learn Her first day on the job, she sat at the large wooden work table across from her and watched in solemn taciturnity That is not how you use taciturn. One of my favorite words. As she polished teapots, salvers, trays, and flatware, then he repolished every item again. At 10.30 sharp, he prepared the tea and gave her the huge rattling tray to take down the narrow stairs, carpeted and threadbare, That led to the shop floor. Bro, you need to upkeep your fucking shit, dog. I have been to jewelry stores in the 21st century. Newspaper and threadbare carpet would make me walk the fuck out. (laughs) (sighs) What? They'll have finished. He muttered. At 11, he sent her back down to retrieve the tea tree. Boy, this is just like secretary. You can just feel James Spader's sexual energy just oozing off him, can't you? Can't you ladies? I know you can. In turn, Rebecca sat and watched him as he tied an unnecessary apron around his waist, carefully washed the tea things at an ancient stone sink in the corner of the room. <sighs> I'm having such trouble picturing this fucking work environment. What the fuck? Just picking inside fucking trading spaces. She had never met a man like Mr. Pierce. Yes, you have. A million. He's boring. He literally is boring. His existential economy of words, of movement, his expression fascinated her. Her father had been a nervous and excitable man with a penchant for over dramatizing the banal. Her boyfriend. In secondary school, I don't know how long ago that was, had been loud, sporty, and prone to fits of temper. Her lover, she had taken at university, (laughs) but not for long. A fellow student. had been melancholy and furtive. One moment bemoaning the injustice of the justices and the next demanding proclamations of undying love, Mr. Pierce was a very different sort of man. At first, his silence intimidated her. He never told her she was polishing the wrong way. He simply polished it again. After a week of this redundancy of labor, Rebecca gathered up the courage to express her frustration. Mr. Pierce, if I'm not doing it right, tell me how you'd like it done. This elicited a single word. He reached over the table, took the Victorian sterling milk jug from her hand, (laughs) and said, Watch. In the afternoon, Mr. Pierce would do repairs at the other end of the work table with torch, goggles, gloves. He would solder handles, spouts, and knobs back into their places. He would reset hinges and unbend ornamentation. Hours and hours of sitting and watching, Rebecca asked if there was anything she could do, and she was told she could read him the newspaper while he worked. On Thursday, they sat together in silence and listened to the horse race reportages on an old brown melon mine radio. Used solely for that purpose, it seemed. Other times, it glowed silently at her from its spot on the shelf between the racks of flatware and the decorative picture frames. Only after three weeks did Mr. Pierce allow her to make the tea. He supervised her in silence and always. Once she settled the heap on the tray, he nodded his approval. You'll put me out of a job, lass, he said, indicating with a nod of his head that she could take it down to the shop. Rebecca was very much doubted there was anyone with the balls to consider firing Mr. Pierce. And it was with an inexplicable glow of pride that she carried the tea down to the sales staff. What the fuck are they selling? <laughs> if it's all just repairs of people's shitty fucking silver. <laughs> what you hawking, boys, that you need to be so fucking caffeinated for? It's like the fucking prospect floor of solid gold down there. Nobody saw that show. All right. <clears throat> In retrospect, Rebecca attempted but failed to comprehend how. As time went by, her world contracted by inches until the pattern of it was unbroken only by the weekend visits with old school friends and the occasional trip to the cinema. Her life became a badly lit cycle of evenings spent reading in her bedsit. Her what? Days in the workshop and the commute between the two, and equally incomprehensible was matters, mattered, was the tea was made correctly. The silver was polished properly, and the public library was still open by the time she got off the bus after work. Her phone never rang, And the small, portable television that came with the room offered her nothing that engaged her attention. Then one day, almost three months after her arrival, something happened. Having retrieved the tray at 3.30 on a chilly November afternoon, Rebecca went to the store sink and began to wash up. She stood at the sink, washing out a cup that she heard over her father, felt Mr. Pierce step up behind her. Aren't you forgetting something, my? She glanced down to watch his arms reach around her waist. He placed one hand on her lower stomach and moved back from the sink against his big body. With the other, he draped the drab green apron around her and, smoothing it flat, he stepped away and tied its strings tight around her waist, leaving behind the mixed scent of lead solder, silver polish, and masculinity. The moment was electric. Her hand holding the china cup shook. Blood rushed up her chest and climbed to the sides of her neck, making her skin burn. Her nipples stiffened into a sudden, awful ache. In her cunt, she felt a blossom of heat. And then a creeping wetness seep into the crotch of her panties. So fucking inviting. <laughs> of a description. <laughs> that evening... Having reached her cramped, shabby bedsit, we're just going with it, she pulled off the still damp panties, flung herself onto her single bed, and masturbated her way to a panting, sobbing orgasm. She came with an intensity she had never experienced before, now that she'd ever come with anyone else. Neither of her lovers had the skill or the inclination to uncover the mysteries of a body she hardly understood. Why Mr. Pierce had elicited this extreme reaction was unfathomable. Rebecca only knew that she had, that he had. And so, at eleven the following morning, once she had brought up the tray with the prepared to do the washing up, she knowingly and deliberately did not put on the apron. Sponge in one hand, dirty cup in the other, she stood at the sink, apronless, and waited. <clears throat> the water from the faucet was icy, her fingers numbed, but After what seemed to Rebecca like an inordinate long pause, she felt him come up behind her, and exactly what he did the day before. Forgetful, are we? Yes, sorry. But she wasn't sorry in the least! All she could feel was his massive hands moving her into his meaty warmth and the effective tug of the apron strings as he crossed them around her waist and tied them at her back, did that hand linger just a little longer over her belly? Did he take just a little bit more time in smoothing out the apron in place? Did he tug at the strings a little more snugly than the previous afternoon? The intensity of her arousal and the fog of her head made it impossible to know for sure. It was Thursday, race day. The radio's nasal drone gave out the progress of the horses that they sped around the track at Kempton as Rebecca came upstairs with the tray and set it by the sink. At first, she thought that Mr. Pierce was so engrossed in the narrative he probably wouldn't notice that she was washing the cups, but having left off the apron she said about the task, as she began to soak the second cup, she felt him behind her again. This time he said nothing. All she heard was a slow, long exaltation. The hand again, encircling her waist, settling itself just below her navel, and eased her back from the sink against his body. But instead of moving to wrap the apron around her, he left it there. His heat seeped through her blouse, her skirt, and her body, realizing this was a breaking of the pattern, set her heart thundering in her chest. He pressed harder than she heard him inhale. The breath was uneven and stuttered as he drew it. It seemed to Rebecca that he held her like that for an eternity, But it couldn't have been more than a few seconds. She had that sensation that somehow she'd just stepped off a ledge and into thin air, and it lingered until, with her ass pressed tight against her hips, she felt the slow and strangely frightening press of his cock as it came alive. With his free hand, he covered her breast easily. At first, the pressure was warm, gentle, but it grew into something demanding and raw. He squeezed until she squirmed, and when she did, his other hand pushed down the front of her skirt, massive fingers wedging into the space between her legs, and cupped her roughly. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Rebecca had been worked up even before Mr. Pierce had touched her, so she almost came apart like that in his hands. Put down the cup, lass. Turn off the water. His voice was soft almost inaudible above the radio's drone. unsteadily she lowered the cup onto the sink, shut off the ancient faucet with a shaking hand. He held her there, letting her feel his erection throb against her clothes cleft of an ass. (laughs) The hard metal of his belt dug into her backbone as she did what she was told. Then, without any warning, the grip on her breast eased, but the hand at her groin disappeared. He took her shoulders, moving her away from the sink. I think I'll wash up today, he said, without glancing at her, stepped up to the sink and began watching the cups and saucers. For a moment, Rebecca stood in stunned silence, searching his impassive profile, glancing down at the dishes, but then back up to Mr. Pierce. Go on, then. That's all the Georgian flatware you seem to. Don't stand there. The Georgian reign was both really old and not very long. And they have... You know, I'm just going to say that I happen to know that forks really only come around in the 1400s in England. They're not really around before the 1300s. So I'm not sure there's a lot of Georgian fucking flatware. Just... Like, you can just pull up, like, the different English, like periods, and you can name them, but forks don't really make their way through Europe until the 1200s, and England was a late adopter. Just throwing that one out there. By the way, you'll often see knights with forks because it was considered so effeminate, but also so advanced and enlightened to eat your food with a fork. You were such a girly man in some circles, but you were so fucking metrosexual and sexy in others. Oh, he eats his fucking food with a tinsel. (laughs) It was the most he'd ever said to her. With her heart still racing and her body still wanting and the echo of the fierce hands on her flesh, she returned to the table, sat down, and finished her work. <clears throat> Once the race commentary was over – oh, we're not going to skip to the next day – Mr. Beer switched off the radio and they worked in silence until 5.30. Oh, I'm so glad we got that. As her body cooled down and the hush stretched out, oh, a sense of shame replaced the arousal. Only when he followed her through the darkened interior of the closed shop to let her out the door, locking it behind them, did he speak. It's not a game. He said, his stern gray eyes making hers as he pocketed the keys and pulled out a pair of gloves. No, she replied, unable to move in the pin of his gaze. His face softened as he reached up, swiping the side of her cheek with a gloved finger. You're awfully young lass. Find yourself a nice young There was no way to say what she wanted, only that she knew she did want, and with a terrible ferocity. Rebecca turned and fled down the arcade as if her body would burst apart into a thousand pieces if she didn't use it to run. Friday morning found Rebecca in an only slightly calmer state. She had hardly slept the night before. All she could see when closing her eyes was the old stone sink the running faucet, and the cup shaking in her hand. All she could feel was the overwhelming need Mr. Pierce engendered in her. All she could remember was the brief enormity of his touch. No one had ever held her with such purpose, and for those fleeting moments, when her body had quivered like liquid, she had never felt such a sense of being possession of her life. Throughout the morning work, she felt Mr. Pierce's stare. He was watching everything she did, and under that unrelenting gaze, she dropped salvers, I don't really know what they are, salvers to split polish and fumbled the simplest tacks. Take it down. He said, when the morning tea was ready, she was so sure she dropped the tray as she brought it into the shop, and as the minutes ticked by from 10.30 until 11, a great battle raged in her mind, but when she walked back up the stairs with the empty cups, She had decided. Very deliberately, she put the tray beside the sink. And very deliberately, she turned on the water and squeezed a generous amount of washing up liquid onto the scrubber. And very deliberately, she began to wash the dishes without the apron. Mr. Pierce had watched her the entire time from his seat at the work table. He did not move. Lass, put the apron on, he said softly. Rebecca didn't glance at him. She stared down at the saucer in her hand and washed it with a furious purpose. Put it on. His voice was close, but she didn't look up. Her blood was singing with an eerie defiance. Her flesh was on fire inside; muscles fluttered wildly, and the crotch of her panties was sodden, with need. Hardly touching, Mister Pierce reached around and turned off the tap. He covered his hands with her, her hands with his and guided them down to the bottom of the sink. She let the plate clatter and the stone and dropped off the sponge. Good lass. In a soft whisper close to the ear, without releasing them, he guided both her hands to the thick, rough lip of the sink, and forced her fingers to grip it. Then he let them go. Don't move. Not a word. Not a sound. The hand settled on her waist And then moved upward, big and unsure. (laughs) They took her like territory. As they covered her breasts, she flinched and heard his breath bitch. I swear this is what it says. (laughs) He was behind her, breathing hard. (laughs) One hand groping her right breast while the other unbuttoned her blouse and pulled it open. He didn't bother to fight with the bra, simply tugged the cups down and the straps dug and burned at her shoulders. At least that's realistic. As he took a breast in each hand and squeezed them, his big rough fingers burrowed into her skin. At her back, she could feel that want bled from his body. His hard-on pushed into the roundness of her ass, ground against her, and unsteadied her. He growled again. Not an inch, I told you. Rebecca gripped the sink, steadied her body and closed her eyes. She clamped her mouth shut to stifle the moan that she was so sure would emerge unbidden, but it was like trying to stop boiling water from bubbling. His hands moved down, leaving her nipples throbbing. He They paused to grip her hips and hold her steady as he rubbed against her. Before one snatched at her skirt and pulled it up, fingers raked up the nylon of her stockings and passed them over bare thigh and covering her sodden mound, he made a noise soft and low in his throat. Is this for me, lass? The contact made it impossible to be still. Rebecca rocked her hips, drove herself against the hand of the crotch. You know it is. Was it for him? For him specifically? For a man more than twice her age who never flirted, never wooed her, hardly spoke and did any of that matter once she felt him tug her nippers down her thighs, once she heard him unbuckling his belt, unzipping himself, she listened to his trousers, keys in his pocket slithered down to the floor, the way he moved her to his liking, the delicious heat of him when he pushed his cock between her thighs, the angled himself with expertly for the first time, a deep thrust the way he bent over, bending her too as he braced himself against the Cold stone sink with one hand and the other clamped over her mouth. She had been so ready for him for what seemed like so many days. Come on! When he finally took she was offering, it only took a half dozen thrusts to detonate the bomb inside her. As if he had done this many times before, he knew and shushed her as she came on his cock. And so what should have been a cacophony of pleasure came out as a stream of choked-off whispers. Good lass, he panted. Give me another. His hand... (laughs) The hand that had steadied her her pubic bone moved. Fingers searched out and spread her, found her swollen clit. He coaxed it with... Each inward thrust so that he felt like a stubborn door being battered open. Ah! Ah! <laughs> That's what I think about when I'm fingering your clit and fucking you God damn it, gonna get you of your fucking hinges, god damn you <laughs> It was impossible to refuse him what he asked for. He fucked her methodically, meticulously. uh, meticulously. Rebecca could feel the ridge of his cockhead as he withdrew almost completely before plunging home again. (laughs) If he was worried about being caught fucking his assistant, he didn't fuck like he gave a damn. He fucked like he did everything else. Quietly, carefully, thoroughly, until she broke again in shoulders and sobs and locked up in the chest. Only then did he come. As if he'd been waiting to see what she'd done with the job properly before moving on to the next step, it wasn't quick or furtive. He just stopped thrusting and erupted into her cunt, letting her feel the hot splurt flood her passage. Then he withdrew, pulled up her panties, roughly put up his trousers back on. Stand up. Turn around. With the lassitude that comes from... (laughs) Ah, With the lassitude that comes from orgasm, Rebecca straightened herself and watched mutely while he repositioned her bra and buttoned up her blouse. Lots of work left waiting. Better get to it now. In the days that followed, Rebecca learned a lot. Mr. Pierce taught her how to clean off broken pieces of silver, quote the shredded edges in the flux, and solder them back into place. He also taught her how to please him. His huge hand wrapped around hers as she stroked his cock, using her saliva and pre-cum to make it slick. He showed her when he was ready for her, on her knees, looking up at him to cover the head with her mouth and staunch the flood that resulted. Don't make a mess, lass, he said. He showed her how to ride him as he sat on one of the two schoolroom chairs. They're very mean chairs. How to let him use her body the way he wanted, to relax as he guided her hips up and down, how to stifle her cries against the side of his neck when she came so hard from his use. Bent over the work table, he caught her to lie straight and silent and let him plunder her cunt for her ass with his fingers, his cock, and his mouth. He never kissed her, never said words of love to her, never asked her out or did any of the things that lovers do. All he ever offered was the pleasure of being possessed by him in the drab room above the shop. She never learned his first name. Wow. (laughs) When a year later she left Holmes and Sons to have another go at a university degree, she left knowing exactly what her body could do and with an unnatural reaction to the scent of silver polish. Pleasures, Apprentice, by Remittance Girl. I knew it was a female author, but I'm still just shocked. I'm still just shocked that was a story about a 50-year-old and an 18-year-old written by a young woman, I'd say, probably young. And that's what she That's that's what she was fucking... You know, this is like when that gal who was like 18 or 19 asked that I do the Stannis fucking erotica, and I'm like, well, I have to do it just because what are the fucking odds... Like, holy shit, what are you talking about? Yes, of course I will. What the fuck? You can't believe it was a female author? I knew it the whole way through, Nadira. I really did. I really suspected it the whole fucking way through. There was so much about her emotional state. There was so much about her, like, emotional, like, awareness and well-being. I was like, I think this is actually a female author. She just really had a thing for this guy who's just not going to say fucking, just, uh uh-uh, I'm just going to fuck your shit up from behind. Why so much of it was like Downton Abbey, but then also, oh, man, I don't know. That was something. Woo! All right, guys. I think that's the show. Uh, I've got some porn here. I really appreciate it, but that was a pretty long piece. I had a lot of fun. I definitely want to do the fun piece. Uh, I guess I'll ask for tips once. Uh, Trying to be better about that, I guess. Very much appreciate you all. Thank you very much for your support. All the nice words you've said about the podcast and everything else. It's been nice doing the shows. I fully hope to have a full show of Septembers for you guys. Uh, I might not be able to do it the first Friday. Just logistically speaking, some stuff is coming up, but fingers crossed. Uh, Every other show at least, every other Friday, uh, I had a lot of fun tonight, I hope you can tell. It's a lot of really crazy stuff going on, but um, just trying to feel normal, trying to put on a show, trying to m- make it for you guys. I'm emotionally incredibly fragile these days. So all the compliments, all the nice things you guys have sent in, it's meant a lot, even more than usual. So thank you for that. And I am trying, 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 trying with limited success to be, you know, patient giving uh, with you guys as well. So thank you very much. Uh, Really appreciate you all. Uh, I'll let you know about the Friday show as soon as possible. But otherwise, I think every Friday for September we'll be doing a show. I really missed it. Uh, I'm trying to be a regular. Uh, I really like it. Thank you to all the people who came out tonight, especially since you normally can't. All the new girls who didn't say anything. You quiet, quiet girls. That's okay. Come out next time. Uh, Let me say your name. You'll love it. Uh, Or request a purr or request a poem since we got through those so quick. Had to vamp a lot tonight. But, you know, it was good vamping, I think. Okay, guys. uh, Yeah, we'll be done in the music lounge uh, if you're here live. And if not, Uh, Hope you enjoy the next show on Thursday, and uh, thank you very much for being a fan. Like me! Share me! uh, Tell everybody uh, about me. Why not? You love me, so they will as well, you know. Thank you very much. Talk soon. Bye.